The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 254 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Our topic today is Huntington's Disease Society of America and Huntington's Society of Canada discussing genetic testing. Huntington's disease is a serious disease of the brain, which over time causes more and more brain cells to die, eventually leading to the person's premature death. It usually appears between the ages of 30 and 50, but it can occur at all ages. It affects mm, some 35,000 North Americans. It has no treatments capable of slowing it down or stopping it, but research is making progress. It causes effects on the body, such as movements over which the person has no control, and physical deterioration. It causes uh, effects on the mind, such as forgetfulness and impulsiveness, and the inability to make decisions. It causes effects on the emotions, such as depression and anxiety and irritability. It's inherited from parents, which means that genes are involved, so genetic testing is used to confirm the diagnosis and to forecast the risk of the disease in parents' children, their children, and their children. And genetic testing raises difficult questions of who should and should not have access to family genetic records, which is why our topic today, Huntington's Disease Society of America and Huntington Society of Canada discussing genetic testing is so important. To discuss it, our guests are Louise Vetter and Bev Heim Myers. Louise is the Chief Executive Officer of the Huntington's Disease Society of America, the largest public non-profit organization devoted to fighting Huntington's disease. She led the expansion of the society's reach with new programs to strengthen support for the community affected by Huntington's disease, to advocate for better access to care for persons living with it, to improve physician understanding of it, and to support research to bring new treatments to Huntington's disease families. She's secretary of the International Huntington's Association, a member of the board of directors of the American Brain Coalition. Bev is the Chief Executive Officer and Executive Director of the Huntington Society of Canada. She chairs the Canadian Coalition for Genetic Fairness, sits on the Governing Council of the Health Charities Coalition Canada and is an active member of the Neurological Health Charities of Canada and the National Population Health Study of Neurological Conditions. 
She's on the board of the International Huntington Association, and she serves as a volunteer board member of the Links to Care Board of Directors. So welcome to the show, Louise and Bev. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Great. Louise, let me start with you first, please. Please tell us a bit more about your life and any experience you have with family caregiving. Oh, well, um, I grew up very, very ill with asthma. And while asthma is very different from Huntington's disease or genetic disease that we're talking about today, uh, I do know the U.S. health system from the inside out from a patient perspective. Uh, I still actively manage the condition, and I'm acutely aware of the caregiving burden of a serious chronic illness on a family. Uh, And certainly, as I was moving forward in my personal and professional development, the ability to help families navigate the medical system and to build their personal confidence in having meaningful conversations with their clinicians is something of very personal passion to me. Too often in my experience, individuals are intimidated by the medical system. They do not advocate um, for themselves, and that is my that is my charge, to give families the tools to, to tackle uh, those conversations head-on and with success and comfort and care. Thanks. Bev, please tell us more about your life and your experience with family caregiving. So um, I, I have been fortunate to have good health my whole life, so it, it's certainly not direct um, as, as Louise has had in her life. Uh, I am married. I have two children, and I have three grandchildren, which is exciting and on a day-to-day basis um, uh, caregiving. My father, when I was a young person, had a stroke and did not live well from that stroke um, for 10 years. Subsequent to get that, my mom, who at the time was the, the primary caregiver for my dad, suffered also from the impact of taking care of him. So at, at that time, I stayed very close to home. Those were my university days and stayed very close to help out with my, my father and, um, and the subsequent ill health of my mother. It, it, was, um, it was an interesting time and a time where I would look at my, my father and, and in his diminished condition, still see the person that he was. And, and it always really frustrated me that other people didn't see the person that he was. And, and I vowed, no matter what I did in my life, that, that I would always work to see the person behind what might be in front of me and, and to help that person and advocate for that person. When my children were young um, and my father was um, still um, ill, he, uh, I had them visit him at times in the hospital, and I started a, a program, a student senior program with young children visiting people who needed care and helping them better understand how to deal with that and not be frightened of it. So that has that was a long time ago, and, and that that is something that has stayed with me, and it has helped me give a voice for those people that need somebody to advocate for them. Right. Louise, please tell us more about your work with the Huntington's Disease Society of America. What do you do and what does the society do? Louise? The Huntington's Disease Society of America is the largest organization advocating for families with Huntington's disease in the United States. 
And my job as chief executive officer of the organization is to champion our mission. The mission is to improve the lives of families with Huntington's disease. And so every day, every decision I make, everything that I do is to protect that mission and to move it forward. We firmly believe that there will be a day where Huntington's disease is uh, a treatable condition, um, perhaps a footnote uh, in medical journals, and we aspire to that day. So the organization uh, is a mix of teams of staff that are bringing programs, um, social workers who are delivering care, support groups who are bringing peers together and sharing knowledge and problem solving uh, with um, research programs to help move forward efforts to develop treatments. We advocate on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., but we are just as meaningful and perhaps more important at the kitchen table and the bedsides of families who are trying desperately to navigate through a disease that unfortunately is still too little known in the United States. Um, Too many times a family will go to a clinician who has only read Huntington's disease as a phrase in a college textbook. They've never seen a family with Huntington's disease. They don't know how to approach it. And so ensuring that families have access to knowledgeable expert care is really central to what we do. We are headquartered in New York City, but we have staff around the country, and we have 54 chapters and affiliates. And what makes those chapters I think special is that they are all groups of volunteers bringing the organization to life. We were founded by the widow of Woody Guthrie, the American folk singer, and Marjorie Guthrie, upon losing her husband, sat down with her adult children at the time and said, okay, I have a new fight. I have a new, a new mission in life, and she devoted herself to advocating for families. And Very simply, it started with an ad in a newspaper asking families who had experience with Huntington's disease uh, or who were um, affected by it to give her a call. And slowly but surely, families started to come out of the woodwork to share their experiences, to raise their voice, and to tackle one by one some of the barriers in the way of receiving good care and building a hope for their families. Right. Louise, I'm just going to stop you there um, because I want to bring Bev in and we have a tyranny of time in this broadcasting. So I'm just going to hand over to Bev, but you will have a chance to say more, Louise, in the next segment. So, Bev, please tell us more about your work uh, with the Huntington Society of Canada, what it does and what you do. Okay, uh, and there will be some duplication here because Louise and I, our organizations, have similar missions and goals. The Huntington Society of Canada is the only national organization that supports families living day-to-day with Huntington disease and supports research across Canada into Huntington disease. Actually, our mission, which is my job to ensure that we can implement our mission, is to uh, fund research leading to treatments. And it's not just building a research mass. It is funding credible excellent research that will in time lead to treatments and ensuring that that research is shared. 
So a big part of the Huntington organizations across globally is that we share information, not only best practices when it comes to family care, but also the research so that researchers in Canada can share their research and it can be built on by researchers in the U.S. or researchers in the U.K. That's critically important. We have no borders, and we fully believe that. We also educate and increase awareness to HD. We advocate for Huntington disease families and individuals living with Huntington disease, and we provide services to families. We have uh, a, we have a staff of about 40 people. Our main office, our home office, is in Kitchener, Ontario. That's close to our roots. And then we have 25 social workers across Canada that support the families. We don't have infrastructures across Canada, just the social workers. We are a unified organization um, so that we can be more nimble and uh, more money goes to mission that way. This year is our 40th year anniversary. Our organization was started at Kitchen Table by Ralph and Ariel Walker. Um, It was a vision of Ralph Walker because there was... And he didn't come from a Huntington family, but he was approached by students asking what the disease was about. Uh, We have stayed close to our roots that the organization started in Cambridge, Ontario. We are in Kitchener, which is just a stone's throw from Cambridge. And um, we have grown. We have more families that we work with. And we work on a daily basis to reach out to more families in remote areas, be more accessible to families, and provide help and hope to families across Canada. Bev, both and Louise, these are powerful, strong messages um, in the face of a considerable challenge. You're all working as a community, which uh, I must say I find very, very impressive. Now, it is time where we have to pay our rent, so we take a break. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Louise Vetter and Bev Heim-Myers. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment channels at CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. You are listening to 
Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Louise Vetter and Bev Heim-Myers. Our topic is Huntington's Disease Society of America and Huntington's Society of Canada discussing genetic testing. Now, both of you, let's discuss the challenges that arise in protecting the genetic heritage of families with a history of Huntington's disease. Starting with you, Louise. For protecting the genetic heritage of families, and we're talking always about Huntington's disease families, um, what are the greatest challenges that arise in the U.S. healthcare systems? Well, in the United States, we are, I will say, lucky that in 2008, Congress passed the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, which protects individuals based on their genetic status, and their genetic heritage, and it really protects in two areas, health insurance and employment. So the law specifically prohibits employment decisions or health coverage determination based on knowledge that an individual has received genetic services. So this is a very good thing for families in the United States, especially those with Huntington's disease. However, it is still a relatively new law. And so a real challenge in protecting the genetic heritage for families is that this law is relatively untested. And in some ways, while it states that these decisions can't be made um, or decisions can't be made by health providers or employers, uh, we have yet to know if when really push comes to shove, if the Justice Department will uphold the, the spirit and the intent of the law. So um, we are protected in some ways, um, but we have this challenge of the real application of the law uh, and, and what it really means for families. Thank you. We'll come back to some of these bigger issues um, a little bit later, I think. Let me go to Bev now. For protecting the genetic heritage of families, same story, what are the greatest challenges that arise in the Canadian healthcare systems? Bev? Um, so I would say in the Canadian healthcare system, our biggest challenge is that genetic information is not protected. Um, we can get into that later about the uh, Canada being the only G8 country that does not protect genetic information. We do have privacy laws, uh, and we would hope that they would protect it to a certain extent, but our experience is that our privacy laws have not protected it. So in the healthcare system, when um, an individual is has a genetic test done for Huntington disease, we have had anecdotal evidence that it hasn't been handled well when the information has been shared with them. And in some cases, when an individual has specifically asked for that information not to be shared with their family doctor, it, the information has been shared with their family doctor. So it, it, it isn't, I, I would say that the genetic information is, by not being protected, it is not seen as personal information to be used as the person who owns that information sees fit. That, that is a big challenge, and that challenge filters down into all areas 
areas of health care. Um, the the United States, uh, with the introduction of GINA and also with the subsequent introduction of stronger genetic protection in the states, is far ahead of, it, of us when it comes to this. That's a huge concern. Right. Louise, um, you've already touched on, or said quite a bit about the challenges arising in the, what I'll call the social injustice systems. Please say some more about how you think that is actually working out. Um, I'm looking at the question now of whether people are asked to sign things, you know, sign away their protection of the data, or whether it's in the U.S. Um, restricted to the point that once the data is out, the protection is against its abuse relative to the individual. Louise? as I listen to Bev talk about the privacy laws and, and potentially the, the cultural application of genetic information, I am struck that in the United States we do have not only GINA, but we have robust privacy laws for health information, and most recently the Affordable Care Act, um, uh, more colloquially known as Obamacare in the United States that does close some loopholes about how genetic information is used once an individual with Huntington's disease becomes symptomatic. So once they leave the phase of just having been tested to being symptomatic. Um, but so while we do have those, I will say, multi-layers of protection, um, there are areas of life where genetic information may still be used to discriminate. Uh, long-term care insurance, disability insurance, life insurance. Um, in those sectors, if you have Huntington's disease in your family, uh, you may be discriminated against if you disclose that information. So we still find ourselves in a position where we exercise great caution and we overemphasize with our families um, the need for this information to be handled very, very delicately. And uh, I would say we actually find ourselves in some conversations where families are very closeted and don't share the information with anyone, um, are actually reluctant to step forward and find um, experienced Huntington's care because of a real hesitation to out themselves um, as needing Huntington's care. Um, but then on the flip side, uh, younger generations in particular um, may not be quite aware of what it means to come out with a Huntington story and that by sharing news of their status or that of a family members uh, that um, and putting that on Facebook or on social media, um, that they have essentially made that information public. And the areas where GINA and other privacy laws may offer protection um, may still uh, not cover all of the areas of practical life planning that these individuals will look for as they age and mature. So we, we still navigate this very carefully um, with the understanding that while there are some laws of protection and there is an appreciation for privacy, um, that there is still a lot that is yet, as of yet, untested and quite a bit that is still at risk. Right. Bev, um, it's the same question protecting the genetic heritage of the families. Um, 
In Canada, what are the greatest challenges that arise in the social and justice systems? Beth? So uh, I would, um, everything that Louise has said is incredibly applicable to Canada. Um, our biggest challenge is the fact that we are the only G8 country that does not protect genetic information so that people um, can be discriminated against based on their genome. From an employer's perspective, uh, employers can discriminate against them and insurance insurers can discriminate against them. So that means if an individual has had their genetic sequencing done or a genetic test done, if they apply for insurance, the insurance company can ask if they have had that done and they can ask for the results of that genetic test. That is um, That stands in the face of progression when it comes to a world of genetic, the genome study, and genetic information is just on the verge of, of exploding, and we're on the verge of learning all sorts of in- information about our genome and genome sequencing, but at this point in time, it provides more questions than answers, so it's still an early science, although on the verge of exploding. Our government has invested billions of dollars in in the genome project, and they continue to. So in, in Canada, there are many projects going on that where people can have their genome sequenced and put it on the website, and this is a project out of um, Toronto uh, uh, Hospital in Toronto. And, and the more people we have in the genome project, the better, our, the better off we are in understanding the impact of, of genetics. Yet in Canada, because of genetic discrimination, people live in fear of their genome being done or their genome being known, which flies in the face of participating in clinical trials, understanding potential future diseases that you could prevent at an early age, or making informed reproductive decisions. So the fact that we do not protect genetic information leads to many other avenues that um, are barriers for a person. So go very quickly to Louise and then back to Bev. Louise, you raised the point that in the U.S. these laws exist, the protections exist, but you're not sure just how well understood they are by the population at large, uh, or perhaps, I don't know whether this is correct, uh, in the, within the Huntington disease community. Uh, have I interpreted you correctly in what I've just said? Yes. Right. Now, let me go back to Bev. Is that same thing true here in Canada, do you think, because I'm speaking from Canada, that people in general, the general public, really know very little about what's going on in this exploding work of and world of genetics and genetic research? Bev? You are absolutely right. Not only that, people don't understand that their genetic information can be used for businesses to make decisions. There was a, um, a federal poll done, a public opinion poll done, back in 2008, I believe, or 2009. And that um, people were asked about, do you think that business, insurance companies, employers, or anybody, without your permission, do you think they should have access to your genetic information? 91% of the people said, no, they shouldn't. So I find in Canada that people aren't even aware 
that insurance companies or employers can have access to that information. Right. Now, once again, we've got the break to go into, um, but these are crucial points. That is to say there are protections around, but what I'm hearing is that, first of all, just to repeat, they're not well enough known. And also, I think you both added the point that there perhaps isn't enough understanding of just all the activity that is going on in the area of genetics, so far as the public is concerned, behind the scenes. And I think those are very key points. Now, we'll take the break, and then we're going to come back to discussing these challenges and what should be done about them. So, this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guests are Louise Vetter and Bev Heim-Myers. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. There are over 140 million products manufactured worldwide. It is impossible to know the ingredients in these products, especially those made overseas. Stan Salat, Jr., President and CEO of the HSF Mark and the Counterfeit Mark Alliance, is the host of People to People, working together for your safety. Stan believes in our right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in consumer products and whether they are counterfeit. Find out how you can protect yourself every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to doc. G at FamilyCaregiversUnite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Louise Vetter and Bev Heim-Myers. Our topic is Huntington's Disease Society of America and Huntington Society of Canada discussing genetic testing. So now, both of you, let's talk about overcoming the challenges that you've been talking about that arise in protecting the genetic heritage of families with a history of Huntington's disease. So, Louise, starting with you, what are the responses in the U.S. to the greatest of the challenges to protecting the heritage, as we're talking about it, um, what what actually are is being done? What are the responses in the U.S.? Louise? Well, an important legal response was that the Patient Protection and Affordable Care Act that was passed 
by President Obama did close the loophole of uh, ensuring that um, you could no you could no longer be denied health insurance coverage because of your genetic information once you become symptomatic. So um, a real challenge had been that while GINA, the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, did provide protection on genetic testing and counseling and that that information and family risk status could not affect health insurance coverage or uh, employment, uh, once an individual became symptomatic, they would be considered as having a pre-existing condition and then they would be dropped by their health insurance provider and that was a real challenge for families. So thankfully, um, that loophole is closed effective 2014 and um, in many cases is already in effect. Um, but we really, we really have to address these challenges of what is covered and what is protected versus what is not protected through the education of families and the um, sincere advocacy and lobbying of regulators and legislators uh, in the American um, legislative system. And so it is really raising awareness of this issue. And something that I think helps bring it to the forefront of conversation is the proliferation of retail tests for genetic information. Uh, 23andMe and other at-home tests where you spit into a tube and receive your genetic, um, you know, a genetic scorecard of your risks has really raised the level of conversation about genetic testing to the average American, the average person. And certainly those, uh, those tests provide risk factors, which is very different than essentially the diagnosis that you receive in a Huntington's disease test where you find out definitively that you will or will not get the disease. It all contributes to a greater awareness of this issue of genetic information um, that is percolating. And so that does provide us the opportunity as we advocate for Huntington's families to use Huntington's disease as a very specific example and reason for us to address these protections uh, and, and make sure that individuals have privacy so that they can retain affordable health insurance, so that they can secure uh, long-term care insurance, disability insurance, and life insurance, which will be so important to them as they age and face the final stages of this as-of-yet untreatable disease. Right. Bev, what are the responses in Canada to the greatest challenges to protecting the gen genetic heritage of the families we're talking about within the healthcare systems? So I would say, and Louise touched on this a bit, that one of the responses is that people hide from the disease. Because in Canada we do not protect genetic information, there is a certain stigma for some that they feel when they're denied different, whether it be employment or, or insurance. And that, when that happens, it's, the disease is hidden in families so that the next generation, and we know many examples of where uh, the, next, the second generation, a parent was ill and they didn't know why the parent was ill and Huntington disease was never discussed. So people modify their behavior and, and they don't face what they need to face. 
uh, if this disease, if Huntington disease is in their families. Uh, Louise talked about direct-to-consumer testing, where, where people can spit into the tube and, and find out um, the most probable genome. Those tests also can be asked for by an insurance company. And the challenge with any of the genetic testing is that it we really don't know. This is an early science. So it really works on probabilities, with the exception of Huntington disease, which it's a monogenetic disease. If you have the mutation, you will get the disease. But other diseases are not. So somebody could do a direct-to-consumer testing, which Louise was referring to. That's a genetic test that you can do online, um, send your bio matter. And they could get results back, and one day they could do it out of curiosity, and the next day it's devastating for them because whether it's accurate or not, they may think they have a marker for Alzheimer's disease or another genetic disease. So there is no regulation around those tests, and even with the tests, the genetic tests where they are done in a clinical setting and results are presented by geneticists and genetic counselors. Because of the lack of awareness to Huntington disease, we often find that that information is not necessarily shared in a sensitive manner. And when you are dealing with a young 24-year-old who is just picking up their genetic status, and in the next moment in time, they're going to go from planning their future to planning their funeral, it's devastating for them. And, and our healthcare providers need to be better aware of how to deliver the messaging and how to, how to support people past the awareness of knowing that they have the disease. Uh, there's no easy way out. In a family of four children, three children may have the mutation. One child doesn't. It's as hard on the, the child who doesn't. So because it's not as well known, because people do hide from it, and because our system in Canada does not protect that information, people hide more. It, it creates a lot of challenges and behaviors that um, are probably not in the best interest of the individual or the families that are dealing with Huntington disease. Right. Louise, back to you. What are the responses in the U.S. to the challenges we're talking about in the social injustice systems? Louise? Well, to piggyback a bit on what Bev talked about in terms of how the information is shared uh, and how, uh, as organizations advocating for Huntington's disease families, we, we try and respond and work through our networks to respond. Um, so much of what we do is raise awareness of those um, really difficult conversations and helping families navigate them uh, too often, and this still happens, you know, in, in the United States and Canada and so many other countries, um, devastating information is shared almost flippantly over the phone, um, and that is such a disservice and such a travesty to families. And so there, there should not be a shortcut in getting information that will radically change your life and um, raising appreciation of that among healthcare professionals and um, really the social service system is very, very important. Uh, we respond as an organization by just trying to raise awareness uh, of the issues and making sure that our families and our network of social workers and support groups and clinicians are really armed and ready uh, to answer questions and advocate for the best levels of care um, because 
so often the information is misunderstood and families don't understand the protections that are in place and where those protections may begin or end. Uh, the United States penal system um, is uh, incredibly unaware and unsympathetic to the needs of Huntington's families. And far too often we find a Huntington's disease individual who um, is jailed because of a crime uh, and um, families that are struggling to provide care from the other side of a set of bars. So we've developed some partnerships with law enforcement um, to help address that. Very often an individual with Huntington's disease, because of the movement symptoms, may look drunk, inebriated, um, not in control of themselves. And so it is very easy for a police professional to make a snap judgment. And so we work in communities where we know there are Huntington's families to educate police departments. So we try, we try and tackle it through our family networks. Um, we, you know, beyond it being case by case, are there themes and groups that we can work with? But we really have to, to triage. We are a rare disease. We are a small community, and we depend on one another. And um, absent greater protections and stronger regulations, uh, we we just work family to family. Right, Bev. Same question. What are the responses in Canada regarding the um, social injustice systems? Good. So as, as we move forward and increase the awareness, uh, many of our legislators and decision makers uh, actually don't know themselves that Canada is the only G8 country that does not protect genetic information. So it, it's a constant education process. We have had uh, a couple of private members' bills go forward in, in Parliament and at the provincial level. So we, we advocate both at the federal level and at the provincial level. Uh, federally, in last year in April, a, uh, a bill was presented in the Senate by um, one of our senators, Senator Cowan, and that was the most comprehensive genetic non-discrimination bill that we have had presented to date. It didn't make it through the Senate. It made it to second reading. We need to do three readings in our Senate for it to make it to the House. It's then discussed in the Senate, and then it goes to the House. The, but the good news is that um, Senator Cowan is prepared to present it again now that uh, the Senate is sitting again and Parliament is sitting again. So we do have more and more. We have influencers, decision makers, politicians better understanding this and moving forward. We also have the research committee moving forward in helping us advocate for genetic fairness in Canada. It's critically important to genome research and genetic research. There are studies going on now with children where uh, if a child's genome is sequenced early in their life, if they are at risk for a disease that can be prevented through through uh, different behaviors and and what they eat and and the lifestyle that they lead, if we know that that's going, if they can prevent it and and be aware of that early in their life, that's an important thing to know. But certainly, genetic discrimination is a barrier, so families don't want to participate in that. Researchers understand that, and they are more and more understanding the privacy issues around this and the need for genetic protection and legislative protection for our genetic information. So it is changing. It's slow to change, but it is changing. We're not there yet, but we honestly believe that Canada has an opportunity to, now that they've seen 
what how other countries have responded. And Louise has mentioned that where there's protection in the states, perhaps it's not as good as we can do. Perhaps in Canada, we can do it and lead by example uh, behind what everything that's behind everything that's been done. But perhaps we can come out and put together a strategy and legislation that truly protects genetic information. We have an opportunity here and more and more research, the scientific community, and um, some of our decision makers are seeing that. Great. Now, we're going to take the break again. This is Dr. Gordon Everly and my guests are Louise Vetter and Bev Heim-Myers. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We're coming back. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Are you a single parent trying to create the balance between home life and work life? You may be running a successful business, but how are your relationships with your family and children? If you're one of the thousands of people trying to juggle it all, tune in to Straight Up with Chris, real talk on business and parenthood, hosted by Chris FSU. Chris is the portrait of the success story. Coming to the U.S. with no language skills, founding and growing several businesses, while raising his daughter from age 7 to adulthood as a single dad. Listen every Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Louise Vetter and Bev Heim-Myers. Our topic is Huntington's Disease Society of America and Huntington's Society of Canada discussing genetic testing. Now, I'd like to ask you both about the things that you would like to do through your organizations to accelerate progress in overcoming the challenges in protecting the genetic heritage of families with a history of Huntington's disease. So, Louise, what more would you like to do through the Huntington's Disease Society of America? Louise? I believe that the Huntington's Disease Society of America, HDSA, has an opportunity because of our strong network of families to really lead the charge in helping the public understand the value, impact, and import of 
managing sensitively genetic information. The HD community has, unfortunately, experience <laughs> with, with really devastating genetic information and how to manage it and uh, exercising great caution in how the information is shared um, and the risks that having this information can mean to you. As we've discussed on this show, uh, in the United States, we do have some protections, but there are limitations to those protections. And so as an HD community, we need to continue to raise our voice from an advocacy perspective, informing legislators and regulators so that we can extend the protections of GINA um, and really raise awareness of Huntington's disease um, for so many reasons. Um, if an individual is discriminated against because, or suspects they are discriminated against based on their genetic status, the burden of proof still falls on them and is incredibly difficult to um, to make a case. So there's a lot of education left to be done with individuals, employers, with the court system, with the healthcare and social service system to really understand um, what genetic heritage means and to help families navigate the decision making. So really that's, that's what HDSA has an opportunity to do more of. Um, I would love for our Canadian compatriots to have a, a bill that is stronger than Gina so that we can once again go to the halls of, of Capitol Hill and say, okay, you know, someone has bested us. We need a stronger bill. Um, there's always a, a nice competitive rivalry that works very well in legislative discussions. Um, and so uh, it would be, you know, there would be nothing better than to Canada take a huge leap forward um, so that it, again, opens another door for HD families. So on cue, Bev, what more would you like to do, particularly having regard to, as Louise is suggesting, getting ahead of the U.S.? Bev? We will continue to work with our families in the grassroots to advocate for genetic fairness in Canada. We do the, the heavy lifting on that as a Huntington Society. We will continue to do that. We will continue to educate. We, it, it is critical that we remove the barrier of fear of your genetic information being used against you. So we will continue to work with the decision makers. We will continue to influence who we can and try very hard to have genetic non-discrimination legislation implemented in Canada. And Louise, when that happens, I am sharing it with you. <laughs> when, when that happens, we will share it. I hope that we can set a great example and provide great protection for our families. This is far overdue. This is, it's time. Certainly science has outperformed legislation. Many countries, when the Genome Project started in, in 1990, had the vision to understand that that information had to be protected. Uh, it, it, it is far overdue for us. The science has outperformed legislation. It's time that uh, it, the time has come to protect that information and to do it right. Right. Now, Louise, what is your quick message for families who are concerned about potential abuse of their genetic heritages? Louise? My message to families is be careful. There are protections in the United States, but understand them. Know where they begin and know where they end. 
go to resources like hdsa.org, talk with genetic counselors who are truly versed in managing genetic information, go to the specialist, but be mindful that it is so easy for information to be public and that that quick Facebook posting, that blog response, that comment to a news article where you mention Huntington's disease in your family can, even in the United States, have implications. So we ask families um, to be cautious, and in the meantime, we provide the education, the support, and forever champion um, families so that Huntington's disease can be something of the past. Right. Bev, same thing. What's your message for families who are concerned about potential abuse of their genetic heritages? Bev? I would absolutely echo everything that Louise has said, and I would also add Please talk to your senators, your members of parliament, both at the federal and provincial levels. Let them know that you know Canada is not a genetic fair country. Let them know that it concerns you that your genetic information is not protected and that you believe it's your personal information and it's your right to manage that information. And if you want people to know about it, it's your right to choose who should know about it. It's it's time that individuals who are at risk for discrimination let the decision makers know that they're concerned. And this just isn't about Huntington disease. This is about all genetic diseases. Everybody is at risk for this. So it's time that people let their legislators and decision makers know that this concerns them and and it's time for protection now. Right. Now, unfortunately, we've come to the end of this episode, and I just want to say to both of you, this whole show is about family caregiving, and the way in which you integrate families and family caregivers with the challenge of the disease in the sense that you're making an approach through and on behalf of families as well as the people who actually live with the disease is a very powerful message and I want to thank you for it because uh, it really does make the point which needs making time and time again that families are the ones who should be listened to, including, of course, their family members. So thank you both for that. I also am very, very, I would very much like to praise you for the international collaboration, the way in which you're working together, and the way in which you're creating an international community devoted First of all, to the research, that's not necessarily an order of priority, but also to this question of the caring, the looking after the families, and the protecting of people who, families who live with this, let me just say it, this tragic disease. So thank you both very much for this, and I wish you every success in your work. And here's a little bit of a plug. Um, if I can do another episode with you, uh, talking about some of the other things that you've mentioned, I'd be very pleased to. In fact, I'd be honoured to because I admire your work so much. I want to thank you to, uh, to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode, and from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be what family caregivers should know about online privacy risks for young people. Please join us same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. 
Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.